Malta was once a hidden gem in the Mediterranean, but now it's being discovered more and more by North Americans. And that means it's diverse and offers something for everyone. You can scuba dive to explore sunken ships, eat traditional Maltese foods like pastizzi, a flaky pastry filled with ricotta cheese, visit one of three UNESCO World Heritage Sites, and so much more. Plus, Malta gets more than 300 days of sunshine, so it's a year-round destination. Get inspired and plan your trip today at visitmalta.com. Are you looking for an off-the-beaten-path island destination in the Mediterranean? I highly recommend Malta, an archipelago with 8,000 years of history. It's home to three UNESCO World Heritage Sites, including Valletta, Malta's capital. Malta also has the oldest freestanding stone architecture in the world, showcasing one of the British Empire's most formidable defense systems. If you travel for history, Malta has an impressive mix of domestic, religious, and military structures from the ancient, medieval, and early modern periods. It's also rich in culture. You'll find events and festivals all year round, plus beautiful beaches, a thriving nightlife, and a trendy gastronomical scene with seven Michelin-starred restaurants. Plan your trip today at visitmalta.com. Hey everyone, and welcome to Travel Tales, a podcast from Afar Media. I'm your host, Senior Editor Aislinn Green, and for the past six years, I've had the pleasure of working with some of the most creative and interesting people in the world. Comedians, philosophers, novelists, they've all shared their stories with Afar's readers about getting out into the world and just reveling in it. And now, each week on Travel Tales, we'll hear from some of our favorite contributors about a trip that changed their life. In this episode, we meet Emma John. Emma has been writing for Afar for about a decade, and she is one of the most friendly, up-for-anything people I have ever met. There was the time she crossed the Atlantic to fulfill her dream of cruising like a 1930s heroine, and then there was a time she faced down enormous insects in the Australian outback. She's also an author of two books, one about bluegrass in the American South and one about cricket, which is your first clue that she's British. But before we begin, I have to warn you that it is highly likely you'll fall in love with Emma the moment you hear her voice, which is also your second clue she's British. But on the trip to Venice you're about to hear, Emma's travel companion was immune to her charms. Well, at least at first. It's late at night. I'm 13 years old, and I'm lying in a four-poster bed next to my sister in Venice. The door to our room bursts open and a woman rushes in wearing pink silk pyjamas and yelling a single word. Gondolier! Gondolier! The woman's name is Annie. She's our mum's best friend. She's a single woman in her 30s and she has never before been left in sole charge of children. We're in Venice because my grandmother recently died. My mum has just nursed my grand through the last six months of a terminal illness and it's been a tough time for the whole family. So Annie offered to give my parents a break and to bring us kids away to her favourite city, Venice. 
she explodes into the room, flings open the shutters, and when she does, we hear what she's so excited about because outside, down in the canals beneath, someone is singing opera. A real-life singing gondolier somewhere in the streets beneath us. Quick, says Annie, there's no time to get dressed. Pull coats on over our pyjamas and hurtle down the stone steps into the night outside. Chasing through the maze of Venice's footpaths and bridges, we lose ourselves in dead ends and blind alleys, and we have to navigate by the sound of the music. So every time we hear a new snatch of aria, we pelt across empty piazzas, in my case wearing pyjama bottoms that are too big for me, so I'm having to hold them up at the waist as I run to prevent me exposing myself. After a lot of shrieking and giggling, we emerge quite suddenly onto a tiny stone bridge where we catch our first glimpse of the gondolier. His boat slips smoothly through the water, carrying a smooching couple who look quite surprised to see two children and their guardian in their nightclothes giddily staring and pointing at them. Me bent over double because I'm still trying to hold my pyjamas up. But the gondolier looks up and waves And as he passes, he sings to us, and I feel like I'm in a movie. This midnight chase through the streets of Venice has been without a doubt the most thrilling and romantic escapade of my young life. That week with Annie left a huge impact on me. It introduced me to art and culture in a way I'd never experienced them before. It gave me a love for Italy I've never shaken, and it formed a bond with Annie that just grew stronger and stronger as the years went by. So, 20 years later, I'm 33 and single, and Annie has married and her daughter has just turned 13. So I offer to repay the favour. I take Annie's daughter Neve to Venice to pass on some of the magic I felt at her age and hopefully to be the same kind of crazy chaperone Annie was to me. We stand in St Mark's Square for the first time, surrounded by the golden lions and the glittering mosaics and the breathtaking basilica. I ask Neve what she thinks. She shrugs and says, "Eh, I've seen stuff like this before. And I am crushed. But it's okay, I think. There's plenty more in this city to impress her. So I pack our schedule with activities. We do the glass blowing at Murano and the beaches at the Lido. We do the frescoes at the Doge's Palace and the fish market at the Rialto. And I even get the waiters at Harry's Bar to mix her her own Shirley Temple. And none of this seems to impress her at all. As soon as we finish one thing... She looks up at me through a wisp of blonde hair, her wide blue eyes emanating boredom, and she says, What are we going to do next? And that phrase becomes like a dagger in my heart. Every time I hear it, I know I'm letting her down as a companion and boring her as a human being. I need to up my game, so I book us into a workshop at a costume maker's and we spend the afternoon creating and decorating Venetian masks. And this reminds me of the spellbinding stories Annie told me when I was a teenager of secret societies and deadly jewels and Casanova. And I tell Neve all that I can recall of these, hoping to inspire her with that romance. And she finishes her mask and gives it a satisfied nod and looks up and says, 
What are we going to do next? I can't tell if she's having a good time, but I know I'm not. I had pictured Neve being overwhelmed with excitement and gratitude. I'd imagined sharing the same kind of wild, extravagant fun I'd had with Annie. But I have a heartbreaking feeling she's just waiting out this week, desperate to be home. Meanwhile, I spend every moment worrying what we'll do when the next distraction runs out. And by the middle of the week, I am anxious and sleepless and exhausted. And one morning, while Neve is still asleep, I grab my phone from beside the bed and hide it under the covers and frantically text Annie. Help! What did you do with us? Question mark, question mark, exclamation point. A couple of minutes later, she replies. Uh, took siestas? Uh, sat in the square and made you draw things? I hadn't sketched since I was a teenager myself, but before we left, Annie had slipped a spiral-bound sketchbook and a tin of pencils into the top of my suitcase. So that morning, over breakfast, when Neve asks, what are we going to do next? I point at the sketchbook and I say, today we are going to draw things. A little way from our apartment, Neve picks a spot with a view of an ancient and crumbly building... We unfold a book across our laps and start our wobbly line drawings. I'd forgotten that I enjoyed sketching, forgotten that I even knew how. But as I watch Neve concentrate hard on a casement window, I have this blast of memory from 20 years before of me and my sister chewing on the ends of our pencils and sharing an eraser between us. And as I hunch over my side of the book and become absorbed in the columns with their leafy capitals, a new feeling descends on me, kind of like a piece. After a while, Neve looks at my side of the book and tells me my drawing is very good. I like the way you've made it lean to the left, she says. And I tell her hers is good too, and she smiles at me and says, let's do some more. So we find more subjects. Wells, palazzos, the bell tower of the Santa Maria Gloriosa. And when we've had enough, we wander through town, feeling very proud of our achievements. And suddenly anything seems possible. Neve suggests we play a game. I'll flip a coin, she says. Heads we go left, tails we go right. And suddenly our afternoon is an exciting adventure and it takes us through pretty squares lined with olive trees and leads us to elegant shops where we try on silk scarves that we wrap round our heads like movie stars and expensive grown-up perfumes that we spray all over each other till we stink. Eventually we come out at St Mark's Square again. Only this time, Neve wants to go in the Basilica. So we stand in line for half an hour before we get to the door and all the while my newly delightful companion is bubbling with conversation. Look at that cute dog. I love small dogs, not big ones, though. When did you get your ears pierced? I want to have mine pierced, but Mum says not till I'm 16. Have you read the Pitticus Law books? Oh, they're amazing. Let me tell you all about them. We're within spitting distance of the vast cathedral door when a marshal shakes his head and points at Neve's skirt. It's too short. 
It might offend God. He can't risk it. Neve leans over and whispers to me that she can fix it. So she grabs her skirt and wiggles and twists and twists and wiggles until her hemline reaches her knees. Of course, this means that the waistband is now barely covering her butt. So as we walk up and down the aisles of Venice's most holy and magnificent edifice, she is clamping her hands over her midriff to make sure she doesn't expose herself. And we're trying so hard not to laugh out loud, it's making us giggle even more. And by the time we reach the altar, she is doubled over with laughter, holding her skirt up just as I had to hold my pyjamas up 20 years ago. And finally, finally, we are sharing the magic of Venice. We leave the city two days later and it feels way too soon. I'm really enjoying Neve's company and being chaperoned to a 13-year-old suddenly feels like a lot of fun. A real excuse to act as a teenager, in fact. Neve sits down in her seat and I sit down next to her and she turns and asks, what are we going to do next? That was Emma John. Emma is currently spending time in southern England, where she let us know that she's been hiking a lot. She's also working on her third book, a nonfiction exploration of the lives of single women. And though she and Neem haven't traveled together since Venice, Emma says they're both quite interested in Verona. Ready for more travel stories? Visit us online at afar.com slash traveltales. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Afar Media. If you enjoyed today's adventure, we hope you'll come back next week for more great stories. Subscribing makes this easy. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And please be sure to rate and review us. It helps other travelers find the show. This has been Travel Tales, a production of Afar Media and Boom Integrated. Our podcast was produced by Aislinn Green, Adrian Glover, and Robin Lai. Post-production was by John Marshall Media staff Jen Grossman and Clint Rhodes. Music composition by Alan Koresha. And a special thanks to Laura Redmond, Sarah Storm, and Irene Wang. I'm Aislinn Green, your zoomed-out, under-traveled host. I can't wait to hit the road again. Until we all freely can, remember that travel begins the moment we walk out our front door. Everyone has a travel tale. What's yours?